This is Life Before, a podcast that supports health and well-being in life and employment. We are in the grip of an international mental health crisis, and this podcast is designed to help address, in a small part, this crisis. My name is Ash, and together with my friends, Chris and Tom, and sometimes our friend from America, Royale Hart, we are here to help you navigate the current mental health crisis. We will occasionally be joined by others who are experts in their fields to help us examine these topics. Myself, Tom and Chris are all experts in education, welfare and well-being in employment and will give real-life ideas and insights of how to make things better, hopefully in a friendly and entertaining way. This is Life Reform. Hi, welcome to Life Reform. Uh, today's a little bit different. It's only me and Ash. Um, and it's all because of the topic we're talking about, employees and uh, workplace welfare and well-being. And the reason it's only me and Ash is mine and Chris's backgrounds are very, very similar. Um, since Ash decided to leave us and go to new pastures, Ash has been working a lot with employees and a lot behind the scenes with employee welfare, well-being, and trying to help employers and employees come together. Um, my background, like we've mentioned before, is a very educational focus. I am a school governor and I have worked in an industry and that's why me and Ash today. Ash, how are you today? Are you all right? Uh, my friend, yeah, I'm not bad. Not bad. Sprained um, my wrist. Just playing tennis. You got that competitive streak in you, you know what I mean? Well, I thought you meant to get tennis elbow, not tennis wrist. <laughs> yeah. Not me, mate. Not me. How you been? You all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Um, it's nice to see a bit of rain. Yeah, it was a thunderstorm last night as well. Over here um, in London. The focus today being on welfare well-being. Just give us a snapshot. Remind our friends... Not yeah, started out in, in pastoral and then also working within health and safety, then moving into the union move, movement itself, the pilots union. So seeing the different issues to do with welfare and well-being in a completely different industry to where I started, which was education. So this the similarities uh, in terms of when you're talking about workload, you're talking about uh, organizational culture, uh, these kind of things are still similar. Um, issues like that are prevalent anywhere across the board. But um, yeah, you get different things, especially when you're talking about fatigue and all sorts of other technical things as well. So how we're going to do it today is um, we're using LinkedIn's 10 most commonly asked questions on employee well-being. Now, the last two sessions have primarily been about mental health and looking at issues to do with how people can improve their own mental health. Today we're shifting the focus more on employment and employees. So uh, what, how, how we'll do it is we'll ask a question and then we'll both give our nuanced answers and see what, where we agree coming from where we come from. I'm sure there'll be tons of overlap. So the first question, um, LinkedIn has supplied with. What is employee well-being? Go with the simple answer. Um, employee well-being is all about making sure that your employees have everything they need to do their job well, um, it's about um, giving them the skills and facilities to have a good work-life balance 
Um, I, my, my opinion, personally, is that um, well-being is all tied up into productivity. If you've got happy employees who feel valued, who feel like their employer cares for them, the, the employee will come and pay back. They'll work hard. They'll pull it out of the bag when they need to. If there's a crisis within the um, organisation, an employee with good well-being and positive cultures will work harder for their employer, will work harder for the team, will work harder for their colleagues and their bosses. Um, they'll do things that are not in their interest. It might be an employee who feels positive about their workplace, will come work weekends and stay late or um, do duties that shouldn't not ordinarily be part of their role. And it's all about making sure your employees feel happy, valued, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Actually, it was I think I was I, I can't remember what radio station it was might have been BBC World Service or something like that. And they were talking about um, goodwill and leadership and getting more out of people and what's required within those roles to get that extra bit out of a person, you know, out of a member of staff. And uh, the whole it was twenty minutes or there thereabouts a conversation was around the idea of kindness. So uh, these leaders would be just kind to people that you know, that they start. And they were declaring that they were getting a lot more productivity out. I think a lot of these things when you're talking about well being, they should be just really uh, part of the normal interaction about how you would want to deal with someone and how you expect to be dealt with yourself and which areas you're comfortable with and which areas you would say that no, that's that wouldn't be the way I want to would want to hear it or I, would, I wouldn't want to be treated in that particular way. And just reflecting on it, make sure that you pass it through a filter before you do anything. And I think that's the problem a lot, a lot of the times within organizations. There's there's the move to productivity without seeing the journey to it. So it's like we want to be more productive. This is our bottom line. We've got to be cost neutral or cost positive. If anything makes us, puts us into the negative arena, then that's something that we can't entertain. While not looking at the longer term picture that if you may have to hold uh, in the immediate a cost negative outlook to then um, get into to the longer term picture where you're reducing those costs to reduce and productivity increases. Maybe organizations don't want to take supposed risk or as much risk. And so that's why they're, they're holding even more towards productivity and lowest cost as possible. That's right, though, because um, it's like with any investment, we're, 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 we're approaching a major cost of living crisis. We, we know on average for a medium sized company with about 100 employees, it costs between two and eight thousand pounds to recruit. Uh, most employers have a turnover rate of fifteen percent. So if you're having mm. between, say, let's go for an average of five grand. If you're spending five grand every time you have to recruit an employee, and you're recruiting fifteen employees every year, that's an extra seventy-five grand of a budget. What happens if you could retain an extra five employees? You know, we're, we're on about big money very, very quickly on an average of 
five grand per employees and you can recover, you can keep an extra five employees, that's 25 grand. All you have to do is invest in welfare and wellbeing. Yeah, it's a continuous investment, but to set up the investment, to set up the process, to set up the system in place, well, it costs 25 grand. Yeah, and it's, it also depends on the, the industry as well and how they look at the workers and the skill levels and what's required and the training and everything else. Uh, it's not that easy. If you're not at the top end of that food chain, then you're, you're going to be struggling because the ones at the top end, yeah, they'll, they'll offer certain things that might be attractive, um, whether it's pay, uh, certain conditions and ways of operating, they'll offer that. And if you're at the bottom of the food chain, you're thinking you're going to get, don't worry, we'll get more pilots even if we can't retain the ones we've got. Uh, that's where you go bust. And I think it's happened to a few of us who just didn't see the long-term picture and didn't really understand and have a strategy of who they were as an organization, at what level they were and who they wanted to be. Are you are you a large-sized company or do you have ambitions to be larger? Uh, and where are you now? So you get smaller airlines operating in ways that don't suit their actual size. When we're talking about recruitment and retention, of, um, I, I also think back to the balance principle. If you want to recruit staff or you want to retain your talent you've got, you either have to pay the most or pay the best, or you have the best culture. They're drivers that keep staff in place or that drive new recruitment into an, into, into an organisation. If you pay the best, but you have a mediocre and culture, you'll still recruit. You might not get that loyalty. You might not get, you know, staff at the beginning of their career will come to you and then as they get experience and as they want in a better culture, they'll leave. The really, the organisations that are really, really going to struggle are where they've got a really bad reputation, really bad culture, and they pay below market rates. They're <laughs> on the highway to closure. <laughs> that's, that's, what, yeah. that's what's going to happen with them. They're not going to last long at all. No. And the problem is you'll get a lot of newly qualified staff. You'll get a lot of staff going in, getting into the industry. And then the second they've got options, they'll leave. So you'll have this up and revolving door. Oh, yeah, they'll, they'll use it as a as a stepping stone. And they'll, straight from the off, they'll know that this is just a stepping stone. They won't see it as anything else. No. And hope oh, that custom service is amazing. And women industries. If, if your custom service isn't amazing pay for it. So if you've got the dual problem of that you're evolving dollar employer with pockets and service, you're very, very quick and quickly find as an executive leadership team you won't be managing a business anymore. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. And uh, this is this is almost like a food chain thing happening and the larger ones that that can, like you said, pay. They're not going to take you know, all the lifestyle options as well. They, they're going to want productivity out of it. They're going to make sure that their pilots are flying and get, they're getting the most out of them. But they'll also balance that with, all right, during these four or five days when you're on, you're going to, you're going to be working max hours. You know, you're going to get the most out of you. But then they might offer them four days off after that. Um, but then pay them well as well. So that way, that's the, that's the combination that a lot of the big boys use to maintain and retain their pilots. And what the smaller airlines used to do is have the lifestyle. So they would, they would 
maybe not offer the same amount of pay, but make sure that they give those extra things, whether it's the time off, whether it's uh, not pushing people to the max hours or whatever it is, they would they would find a way to make that lifestyle element better, whereby people will think that, okay, you know what, it's, it works for me because I'm close to my family, it works for me for the quality of life, I have time to do other things, I guess it's not paying as much as this particular airline, but it's okay, you know what I mean, I can live with it. But then what happens is as soon as they try and creep in more of the elements of the big boys, like pushing that productivity and flight time limits and all those things, and pushing them to the max, that's when you, they start saying, wait a second, my pay hasn't gone up in line with that. You're asking more of me. Um, I'm losing my life. Why am I going to stay here? And then they go. And then what happens is that they, they can't recruit because they're at the bottom. Other markets as well, outside there. If you're a small business and you have the, a good culture, I would argue that you don't necessarily have to pay huge wages. If you get the yeah. culture right, and have around um, industry average wages, mm. you'll sail, you'll sail through, you'll be absolutely fine. You'll... Yeah, you'll get, you'll get loyalty, and that's the thing. And if, at the end of the day, if, if you have that, people will stay. And more importantly, you become aspirational. People want to come to your organisation to work because they've heard that you're a great employer. Well, one of the yeah. things that came through from um, Silicon Valley which I think a lot more employees should be doing and should be considering, is this idea of unlimited, unlimited holiday. So in the UK, it will work that you have to take your statutory holiday. Then really, really, really good employers who really trust their employees. Yeah. Unlimited holiday. Because you find, and research shows that, people who do have unlimited holidays, they're static less holidays because they feel valued. The fact that they can take the holiday means that they yeah. don't need it as much. Well, I think it's the same It's the same idea of, not the same, but similar in, in terms of if you offer more flexible working. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's, people say, oh, yeah, if, if somebody's working from home or they're not in the office all the time, then that productivity is going to go down. In fact, we've seen um, recently that people actually work more <laughs> in terms of, in terms of the productivity, they're achieving more uh, on the whole. There are obviously people that are going to take, they can make a bit, but. Keyword with working from home is flexibility, give, it, give you employees a chance. Um, yeah, it just gives them the complete autonomy, just like um, with the days off. So, all right, if I get all my work done within this period, that means I can make, take this time off. Um, so I want to go on holiday, so let's bang this work out, let's get it done. Similar, similar things. The question two. Um, Probably more my street than your street. Um, how do you improve employee mental health and well-being? Uh, understanding that you're dealing with humans is, a, is the first part. <laughs> I think, I mean, that's the one that um, oft goes missing in terms of how how you manage or how you you operate your business and understanding that you're actually dealing with human beings. A lot of, a lot of the time, is they become numbers or they become a part of a productivity. Uh, you know, uh, data analysis or whatever it is, it's just they don't they, they lose that element that you're actually dealing with people and people are complex. There's this, this, and every, every individual is different. So you need to be able to understand that uh, to be able to get the most out of it. We really do. 
most of the time they don't. And that's why that's why that it was quite odd to just listen to that 20 minute discussion on 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 the radio about oh this study on kindness. I was like kindness. <laughs> I was like, that's, just, that's just a normal human uh, should be a normal human characteristic, normal human trait. So why why are we studying kindness as it's got to that level that we need to really put put a survey out and do some signs from kindness? I thought. And, and, and an organisation I'm aware of, I'm not going to name them purely for I don't want to get myself in trouble, but they had a staff development day where it was all based on kindness. If you're thinking of doing a staff development day on kindness, yeah. why are you not to do it, people? Like <laughs> it's true, absolutely. No matter what you hope to achieve from teaching your staff about kindness, it will not help. It will make you make it worse, and it will alienate your workers. Um, yeah. I think for this question, it comes back down to one of our mantras that we've got, and it's D-Bad. If you want to help improve your employees' health and well-being, simply put, don't be a dick. Um, treat them how you wouldn't to be treated yourself, and the key is communication and respect. Treat your employees with respect. Give them open spaces for open communication. Sometimes just ask them how they are. Um, give them a forum where they feel they can speak openly and honestly. And employee mental health and well-being will increase tenfold. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty much, pretty much that. To be honest, there's nothing else that I could really add to it. It's just having a an understanding that. You are dealing with people, and that's 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 essentially what it comes down to. Like you said, don't be a dick. Small organisation um, that supports um, uh, members. We we have a small but significant amount of people who we support, and um, as the person who leads the organisation, I always take the rule that I will never ask anyone I work with, anyone who works with me, to help support these people. I'll never ask them to do something I won't do first. I won't do for them so if a case comes through or a bit of work comes through that I look at it and I instantly go oh, that's awful then automatically I know that's the case I'm working on that that's my bit of work if I see someone and go oh that actually looks quite interesting that could be quite quite an interesting case to follow and to look at I'll assign it to someone else because I want to bring people on board so the other thing is, as part of DBAD, is don't ever ask people to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Question three, what does it mean to proactively support employees' mental health? Very similar question to the last one. It's quite similar. It's the same. It's, essentially, it's the same, same things. Uh, you have to be able to listen if you want to proactively um, you know, support someone's mental health. You've got to be aware. Um, as well, and have an awareness beyond yourself. So sometimes, what you what you have is like, oh, you're just aware of what you're doing to a degree, but not aware of what's going on around you at the same time. So there's there's different levels of awareness, and to really be effective in terms of these things, you have to be aware on all of those levels. Um, once you are, then you you can understand uh, what you're doing. You understand where the other person's coming from, what maybe they're doing in particular, and also be able to signpost as well because you, you can pick up on certain things that maybe don't feel right or something that doesn't sound right or look right or whatever it may be. 
and from there you can approach better you because you're approaching from at least a certain level of understanding and if you picked up on it you can always go go away and research and find out or like i said signpost and then just means that you're you're dealing with something before it escalates to something else and there's no telling you know these things can brew for a long time or they can escalate quite quickly they just don't know i've i've worked with managers who are absolute geniuses amazing in their field um they know mm. everything about everything to do with whatever whatever it is they're doing but they have very very little people skills and although they're innovative ingenious amazing because they have a sheldon cooper approach to people management which is to berate and shout at people they don't make effective leaders if you run an sme and you're the type of person who is amazing and a genius of your field, but your people skills are as developed, the one big tip I would say is hire, hire someone to people manage. And hire a people manager to come in to support the work you do, but also to support the team that you need around you to build a successful business. People yeah, I think... It's so important. I think what people forget a lot of the time is just a little bit of honesty uh, and being genuine in, in terms of what your intentions are and delivering and just holding true, holding true to those things can make a massive difference. Even just, like you said before, taking a bit of time. It doesn't have to be masses amount of time. You know, I'm not talking inordinate amounts of time, but just a little bit extra makes a huge difference. It's just like you go to a doctor and you've got an issue, so whatever that may be. He says, maybe something on your skin or whatever it is. And they look at it for a second and say, oh, yeah, it's probably this. And they give you something. And then the difference between that and saying, okay, asking you maybe one question on top of that, or maybe looking at it and saying, okay, we're going to do it like this, and this is why. That extra time make a massive difference to someone. They come out feeling that, you know what, I feel, they feel better about themselves. They feel like, okay, this is this, whatever issue is going on will get better. It's just it's just those little things and it's the same thing same thing when it comes to managing people and managing um where they are and what's going on with their life it's just, it's just you just ask an extra question ask one question at least if nothing else and that would make that would be a start so, um yeah it's just people don't think that they have time and what happens is that that thought process means that you're going to have to deal with something else which will take a lot of time, which will take a huge amount to unpick, which will lead to maybe um, lots of time off for that person because they've reached a limit and you've not spotted it. And then you've got to pay for that and it's costs involved as well. Yes, it just you know, continues on. So yeah, this starts from maybe ask a, you know, ask a question, like you said, uh, ask how, how are you doing? <laughs> at the base level, at least, yeah, that's the, pure basic level. Why not just do that? That's into what we're talking about with toxic masculinity and labeling where it's mm. about going through the communication motions and you need to make sure that you're asking the questions, you're being curious. Um, yeah. One, one of my first jobs out of uni, I worked for um, a little organisation called General Electricity. <laughs> their key mission statements, one of their key buzzwords is curiosity. Um, yeah. 
thinking back now, that makes me really excited that an organisation like GE is curious. And for me, it's curious about everything. Um, it's curious about people. It's curious about making developments and improvements and changing the world. Um, yeah, absolutely. For most businesses, their most important, important asset is their people. So why don't businesses look after their people better? It makes no sense. Yeah, it's there's very few businesses that do, but there are some that look for those things, like whether it's creativity, curiosity, these 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 functions within people that um, make them very very capable at doing a lot of different things, because it's the same elements that that run through all of it. Even if you're trying to do with a, a problem to do with pay or to do with um, you know, costs rising. You need to be curious about it. you need to feel okay so what's the issue and that curiosity will drive you to different areas where you may be able to find solutions then if you have the creativity alongside that then you can couple the two together and come out with solutions that you wouldn't be able to if you're just on that surface level if you weren't curious you know? so it's it's a it's really important um we know that exercise is vital for creating positive mental health do you think businesses should do more um, physical exercise within their organisation? And how would you do that? Because someone like myself, um, I probably could benefit from a lot more physical exercise, uh, physical engagement. But if my employees started telling me I had to go do physical exercise, mm. we would be in an employment tribunal very quickly. <laughs> well, it's... it's an interesting one I think um, speaking just purely from the the health side of it it yeah it depends how you do it but promoting of physical exercise and physical well-being alongside mental is is important because really your body and your mind are just completely connected so for instance if there's parts of your your body that aren't you know, regularly moved, then your brain thinks that that part doesn't need any nutrients. It doesn't need any anything from the you know from from where the body provides those nutrients. So they become stagnant, and that's where you can get further health problems because it's like the brain's forgot about it, forgot about your ankle or your knee or this and the other or your back, and then your muscles within that area aren't getting the necessary nutrients, so they degrade. So maybe just moving around just stretching think these kind of these kind of small things uh, can make a massive difference to your long-term health so but yeah um exercise makes you release endorphins so it's one of the yeah that make you happy relaxes you it gives you a very short lasting but really you feel your like happiness there of mine yeah absolutely um, and some how many people are sitting you know sitting down that time or office place you just it'd be good i remember like like you remember you mentioned about google they, they have all of these facilities um around and i remember we were, i was driving past their offices you always used to see it like a table tennis thing this that, and the other all sorts just so that people could get up from the desk do a bit of physical activity something fun uh, even group based and then 
after about half an hour, come back. I used to do it um, with Chris. You know, we that was one of our things that just would work for a bit, and then say, you know what, I used to get up, we'll walk around, uh, maybe go and talk to someone, and then come down, put table tennis table out, hit a few for about 20 minutes, and then get back to work. The the difference it made in your days for us, and Chris isn't here, but I'm sure you'd agree, it was huge. Huge. about the amount of time you spent playing table tennis, so are we going to stick with 20 minutes? What was that? Are, are we going to be honest with about the amount of time you spent playing table tennis? Or do you oh, to... the amount of time? Um, yeah. yeah, 20 minutes. <laughs> are we, are we sure? Plus, plus 60. <laughs> and probably then some. And probably then some, yeah. Um, but yeah, we were healthy. We were feeling good. <laughs> We were still productive. We still got everything done. And that, that was the thing. And maybe people would look at it and grimly, oh, you know, grumpy, get grumpy about it. But... When, when you say we got everything done, I seem to remember that you had help from a very helpful colleague at, at that point. That's teamwork, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I have that. Um, so return on investment for employees with welfare programs. This is statistical, right? Um, mm. A recent survey found that for every pound spent by employers on mental health interventions, they would get five pound back in reduced absence leave, presentees, uh, staff turnover. That's insane. Uh, you can't, you can't argue with those figures. They're not surprising either, to be honest. Uh, yeah, they're not not surprising, but then at the same time, it's. The surprising element is why and why doesn't anybody just take heed? That's that's the surprising part of it, where it's just it's there staring you in the face. Do you want to very quickly just explain what presenteeism is? Yeah, so uh, in a nutshell, it's showing up at work when you shouldn't really be there uh, for whatever reason, whether you're ill. Um, well, it's usually to do with when you're ill and you're showing up at work when, when really you should be at home recovering. and that's that's the problem, and um, it happens a lot more than people think. And sometimes people don't think about it at all, and they just say, "Oh, it's just this, or it's just that," and they put it to the side. And that often leads to to going off for longer periods afterwards. But... One of the biggest trends on productivity. It just happens to be um, some Ash has made his career out of. What was that? I'm just saying you've built your career on presenteeism. Me? Yeah, you. I never showed up when I was sick. <laughs> you turned up and just not done your work. Oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I would never turn up. I, I, I did at the start. This is this is the thing that happened. It changed during my career. I, I, I used to. I'd be... I'd have a flu and physically almost be unable to stand up, but still get in front of the class and teach to the degree where my students would say, should we call someone? Do you need, a, do you need an ambulance? I was like, no, no, I don't think you need an ambulance. But I'd be lying down on the table. So they were, it was understandable that they would think that. For me, the problem isn't presenteeism in terms of sickness and in health and any of that. It's mm. for your demotivated staff, your, your employees who are just turning up and going oh, yeah. to work and that is fatal for an organization. If you've got oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Engaged, 
and they're just going through the motions of employment. Well, it's this, there's a little bit of a connector to it as well in terms of both, because um, what happened is that where my motivation would be lacking, if I did go off and wasn't feeling well, for whatever reason, sometimes it could have been just stress, it could be, could be many different things. I wouldn't rush back. I wouldn't say that, OK, I'd be maybe OK. I was like, you know, I could go back. Um, I'm at 80, 85%, for instance, or 90%. But I was like, you know what? Why should I? And when you, ha when you have that question, you know, something inherently is wrong with that culture. When you say, why should I? I mean, what are they going to what have they ever done for me you know, to support me or give me an opportunity or uh, help me to do this or this or that? You know, it's just, and then you have a, 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 at the other end, they don't pay me enough to really come in when I'm at 80%. I mean, there's no, there's no reward. There's a reward mechanism for what I do and what I give. And that, that you know, erodes over time. And then suddenly you're like, no, I'll, I'll go back when I'm 100% and only when I'm 100%. And some people say that's the way it should be anyway. But at the same time, if you're physically able, you could return even when you're naive. But you now things change over time. But they, they definitely did for me. Um, so, yeah, last question. What makes a good manager? Are you there? Um, yeah, there's, there's plenty of studies out there about, about this um, in terms of what, what is good management and what makes a good manager and all of these things in, in, in leadership uh, circles or in terms of the studies around that as well. It's how you define it, what you want to be as a manager. Do you want to that leadership element within your management style as well, or do you just want to manage? And that means that you just you just keep things going and that's all you do. And if that's the case, then I don't think you're going to be a very effective manager. I think good management comes from having an understanding of all the necessary elements that you're involved with, and then maybe even going beyond that to see, okay, how do those elements interact with other things and having knowledge of that, and then being able to understand how that all fits together to, to build your team or build your department or area, make sure that it's secure and working well and doing all the things it should do. And when something isn't right, whether it's internally or from external forces coming, trying to cut, enter into your arena, then being able to manage that situation by uh, holding to your principles, being able to, to say what is right and what is wrong, and then defending that, that's good management. That, that's the way I see it anyway, because then, then you, you maintain, but maintain in a different way and actually improve at the same time. Uh, that's the way I would look at it. A good manager, I think they have to have the secured knowledge of what their team is doing. And I don't mean that they need to know the ins and outs of everyone's role. Um, like if I was managing a bunch of engineering, engineers, sorry, I, I wouldn't need to be an engineer. I'd need to be able to understand what they're doing and the processes that they do to fulfill their role. But I think it's about values rather than knowledge. I think it's having strong people skills, good communication skills, a good understanding of how people work and how they function, and the practical application of what that person does and accountability. 
um, some of the best managers I've had have been the ones who are strong enough to hold me accountable for my actions, yet have a good relationship and the ability to get me to buy into them. So it ain't about letting me run with shot and do my thing. It's about making sure that I have everything I have, all the skills, all the resources I need to do my job. And a good manager allows me to do that and allows me to grow within a role while making sure I meet my KPIs, my key performance indicators and things like that. So it's about having a combination of knowledge and understanding of the role, of my role, what they're managing, and about their skills and abilities as a person to communicate and understand. Yeah, I'd agree with that last point, uh, for sure. Uh, if you're if you're going to be a good manager, then you need to know who you're managing as well. Because if you understand their capabilities, then be able to utilise them better, potentially, and then get the most out of them. And again, if you're getting the most out of your people, your department or your area is going to be very, very productive. And I think that brings us to the end of today's session. I think that, that's a good place to end. Um, if you have a question you'd like us to talk about or a scenario or situation, if you find us on either our Instagram or Twitter and just DM the question to us, or you can email us. Um, our email is in the episode description um, wherever, wherever you found this podcast thank you for joining us at Life Reform You have been listening to Life Reform a podcast exploring mental health welfare and well-being both in life and employment if any of the topics discussed in this episode have touched you or you need help you can contact the Samaritans on 116123 if you or another person is at immediate risk of harm please always ring 999 For long-term mental health support, you can access the NHS Mental Health Support via Googling NHS Mental Health Talking Therapy. This was Life Reform. Reform is a podcast produced and edited by Richard Leake, written by Oscar Hassan, Chris Abbott and Richard Leake. Additional script by Royal Heart, published by Anchor. All rights reserved by Reform Solutions Training Limited, 2022.